0: Three, two, one. Hello, folks. This is Pastor Mike Hartger coming to you from Watchman Studios with another Watchman video broadcast. How come when we do that countdown, how come nobody ever goes, okay, everybody ready? One, two, three. Nobody ever does it that way. It's always from three to one. And (laughs) this may sound like a silly question, but... How is it that we end up saying like three, two, one or one, two, three? what what is it in us that compels us to uh, participate in the creation of God? Now this number three is got God's signature all over it and we're, we're not even halfway done looking into it. There is a lot more things that we're going to dig into concerning this number three. But for some reason, just this thing of three, two, one, that just sounds right to us. No one ever goes, okay, ready? Seven, six, five, four. We, we never do that. We never go 108. 94, 57, unless you're hiking a football, okay? But anyway, I think that number three is is like built into us, built into our DNA. In fact, I I would say that that's probably it. Seeing as how we know that God is the one who wrote our DNA, Psalm 39, 139, 16, in thy book, All of my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them, is what David wrote. And so I just think that God wrote our book and we are created in the image of God. So God is both one and three, the Father, the Son, or the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three... Are One when it comes to man his creation, you know, I mentioned last last time uh, About how God said let us make man in our image after our likeness He used plural words in there and he used them three times let us make man in our image after our likeness and God had man do three things and so on and so I think it's just It's just built into our DNA that some things just sound right no matter where you are in the world whether it's in Chinese and like ying, gong, quang. I I don't know if that's Chinese or not. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody speaking Chinese. But anyway, um, I think it's built into us because we are in the image of God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I mentioned that. We are spirit, soul, and body. Now, when we get to the number four, We're going to add a little something to that. We are spirit, soul, body, new body. Okay, that's going to be fun. All right, but so we covered uh, last week, we covered uh, the things related to uh, God and the Godhead and the number three, uh, 1 John 5, 7 being the verse in the universe that matters when it comes to uh, understanding the Godhead to be one. In fact, there there is no other verse that I've ever discovered in the Bible that tells me point blank, dead on target, that the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, are not three individual gods, but they are in fact one God. You just I don't believe you'll find that verse without 1 John 5, 7. So we talked about that last week and all the ways that God is seen as three. Uh, Jesus' baptism, when He came up out of the water, the Holy Ghost lighted on Him like a dove and God's voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son. And um, so we have that. We have other things and patterns that sort of show us that God is three and that God can be seen in the creation. We noted in Genesis chapter 1 that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. You have in the beginning time, God created the heaven, space, and the earth matter or mass. You can't have mass without a place to put it in. It's impossible. You can't have uh, matter, mass, and space without time to govern it. And so everything is in uh, following the order and ordinance of a creator God. So let's keep on going with this. We're gonna make a transition because there is a transition in the Bible revealing to us that as God is three and one, That number three is going to carry over into another theme in the Bible, instituted of God. Let's read it out of Romans 6. Here lately, I've uh, had to, um, I won't say I've had to, I've enjoyed it. Uh, We've baptized uh, several of our young people, some of them my grandchildren. Woo! Amen. And, um, but anyway, we've, we've done that in accordance with exactly what Jesus told us to do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's exactly how Jesus told us to do it. If you do it some other way, that's your business. This is how Christ told us to do it. So we've been baptizing. Baptism itself, with that number three, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, then carries with it this idea of transformation. So when I sit somebody down and go over um, what it means to be water baptized, uh, the fact that it does not bring salvation, salvation's already there, it's just that they are going to show now to the world on the outside what God has already done on the inside. And in fact, I've got, again, I've got several more candidates that uh, I'm going to meet with and explain, and explain to them. And I always, always go to Romans chapter six, and let's see what it says here. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up, from the dead, by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. I like that. For if we had been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall, also, we shall be also in the likeness of His, and notice he uses the word, Resurrection because that's exactly what it's referring to. And I, and I like this. Romans 6, 3, 4, 3 through 5 cannot be accurately portrayed in the right, if you will, or the, uh, the formula for baptism. It cannot be reenacted simply by taking water and splashing somebody on the face or taking a seashell and pouring it over their head I don't care if it's a baby or an adult just taking a scoop of water and pouring over their head that shows nothing taking people and acting out the scene that is given to us in romans chapter 6 they go down and baptize you my brother in the name of the father and the son and the holy ghost i don't hold them down that long but they're buried with Christ. They're planted. And this is how I, uh, this is how I rendered my father's death and burial. Was I stood over that grave, next to that casket, my hand on that casket, and I told my aunts and uncles and cousins and all of our family there in central Arkansas not burying my dad. I'm planting a seed. Because in the book of, uh, in, in, Ro- in 1 Corinthians 15, that's exactly how the Apostle Paul put it. So you take a seed, put it in the ground, and you don't want just a seed coming up out of the ground, because that's not enough. You want something that's much bigger, and you want something that is far prettier than just a seed. But how many parts does a seed have? has three, has the outer shell, it has like the meat of the seed, which is like the part we eat, but then it also has the uh, endosperm, which is where the DNA is. Once that seed goes into the ground and the moisture from that ground rots that outer shell, see, we have to be turned to corruption. We have to be. So it rots that outer shell. And now the soul and the spirit of this person on resurrection day, whether it's the resurrection of Christ's people or the resurrection of those who are doomed or damned, uh, they receive a new body. It is a transformation. All right. And I'm going to show you something neat relating to that here in just a little bit. But we bury them, the water being the, uh, the ground that we put them in. But like as Christ was raised up, so we raise them up in newness of life. I've got a baptism coming up. And the dad is like six foot five, six foot six, something like that. It's a big fellow. And his young little daughter, probably about this tall. So I don't know, should I fill the baptistry full and it, dr- <laughs> and it drowned her so he can get wet or pour the water in there so she can get baptized, but he won't hardly get wet. So I, I don't know, anyway. But anyway, you take them down and you bring them back up. They don't, they don't bring themselves back up. That's important. No one resurrects themselves. No one does. We are resurrected by God Himself. So we lift up the person, bring them up, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Everybody's clapping hands and everybody in the church is witnesses now that this is the road and the life that these people chose. This is how they're gonna live their life from here on out. And it's our job as Christian brethren To help them and encourage them along that way. I love it. Anyway, but at all point, you're going to find out now, it's pointing us to the number three. So the number three is a number for change. It's a number for transformation. Um, We have the first resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but sleep is death the bible even says that they shall sleep the sleep of death okay so and that's what happened with adam adam slept and so god was showing us that in in a type he's dead but out of adam's body comes the woman and then god brings adam back to life and brings the woman to him and so on but anyway um Paul said behold I show you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment notice these three things here in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed now I just got a revelation I did. I don't know why. I've never seen this before, but I guess if I've already seen everything, there just wouldn't be no other reason to read the Bible anymore, I guess. But I just, um, I absolutely love this. Um, where, I'm so excited. I can't figure out where I'm supposed to go. First Peter, I believe, 1 Peter. Uh, Chapter 1, yes, 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 I like it. Notice in this verse again, verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So let me ask you a question. And, and I'm setting you up for this, okay? When Paul said here, yeah, when Paul said here that the dead are going to be raised up from being dead, they got better, okay? And they didn't need they didn't need uh, Fauci to do it. Amen. I'll um, probably get me thrown off YouTube, but anyway, um, the dead. Come back to life. Not only do they come back to life, they come back to life in a different body. A body that Paul said is incorruptible. This body, corruptible. You ought to smell it sometimes. Whew! Bad. But it's corruptible. Everything, think about it, everything that your body produces, stinks, doesn't it? Ugh. However, when we receive the new body, it's going to be incorruptible. Again, that word doesn't just mean it's, it's not corrupted incorruptible means it does not even have the ability to ever be corrupted. Okay? Now, that word is used in another place in the Bible. Okay? First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Being born again, amen, not of corruptible seed, well, I think Peter must have been reading Paul, okay, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. I want to bring you back to this question I brought up here a couple weeks ago. Do you believe in absolute truth? Absolute truth, 100% truth with no admixture of any error whatsoever. I'm trying to use the strongest language possible to describe what I believe. I, I don't have to think before I answer this question. I believe in absolute truth. That on this earth, right now, there is something that 100% without any question mark, without any clouds, you know, a cloud coming out of my brain like a like in a comic book and big question marks all in it, you know, or a devil on one side and an angel on the other telling me two different things. I don't have that. I absolutely believe in absolute truth, I believe that there is something on this earth, something that you and I can get our hands on that is absolutely incorruptible. And if, if our bodies are going to be made incorruptible, meaning that even a billion years from now, there we will not have been we will not have decayed aged altered in any way shape or form we will be just as new as a newborn baby is that's what i mean by that that's what the bible means by that the dead shall be raised incorruptible so i believe that the bible Because that's what it says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Unless you believe that the only word of God spoken about here is Christ. But you see, Christ, even even at the last there in Revelation 19, he's associating himself with something called the Word of God. And if Christ, already it's been some 2000 years after He ascended up into heaven, if Christ by this time, Revelation 19, is still relating to the Word of God, then it still applies. The Word of God is incorruptible. Not only can it, is it not corrupted, it cannot be corrupted by any man, woman, child, devil, anybody. Can't be corrupted. Okay? You take that and whenever uh, some preacher or some guy some lady gets starts getting all over you for believing the King James or just, I'll just throw it to like this, for just believing that one Bible, one Bible in this world is absolutely 100% true in everything it says. And when they come unglued, just ask them the simple question, do you believe in absolute truth? That's all you got to do. Anyway, got to move on. Uh, Behold, I show you, Mr. We, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He says three things here in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. So with the resurrection, again, you have that number uh, three. Then, now watch this. Right up here on the screen, it's a, well, it's a triangle, okay? And we learned that in first grade, didn't we? It's a triangle. Actually, it is the Greek capital letter for the letter Delta. okay? Or Delta. Yeah, Delta. It's been a while. Alpha, Beta, Delta, Gamma, I still remember most of those. And Alpha, Beta, Delta. Delta is number three, isn't it something? And notice that how many sides does the letter Delta have? One, two, three. That was easy to count. You know what the letter Delta represents in physics? When I say physics, I mean, you know, like Einstein would be drawing and writing all these formulas on the chalkboard and you look at it and you have no idea what any of that says, okay, unless you read physics. But Einstein and any other genius f- astrophysicist, they're writing these things out, and you see a delta here and a delta there and a delta here and a delta there. Do you know what that delta represents in those formulas? Get this transformation represents a change that is going to take place somehow, some way, a a form of matter goes from one state and is transformed into a different state. Now, I don't know much about it beyond that, but that's what the, that's what the delta letter in the Greek alphabet used in physics and its formulas That's what it represents, it represents this idea of transformation. Think about this, think about the great pyramids that are in Egypt, the three great ones and then there's three smaller ones. Uh, But those great pyramids, they're not circles on each side, they're not squares on each side, they're not rectangles on each side, all four sides. They're not polygons, hexagons, septagons, octagons. They're not anything like that. What they are is triangles. And you have four triangles, one on each side. They both lean in together at an exact and a precise rate. Others have tried to build triangles and have failed miserably because they're, they're out of I hate to use the word out of square because they're triangles. But they're just not, somebody didn't read the measurements right or something like that. And they're not good. They're not right. But those three, how many were there? Giant, giant uh, pyramids there in Giza, Egypt. The question has always been, Who put those there? Who built those? Who is it whose mathematical uh, prowess can be exceeded by none even in this world? It would be difficult to build those three pyramids in today's world. You're talking about billions and billions of dollars to do this, okay? But all of those pyramids with these deltas these four deltas on each side generally a lot of people think that they were used for tombs. The idea being that we're going to put the pharaoh in here in this pyramid and the gods then are going to transform him and he's going to be a god himself. He's going to be an immortal. What what does that sound like to you? Sounds exactly like Genesis chapter 3, where the devil promised Eve that she would be as the gods, knowing good and evil. And that being placed in that pyramid, it will somehow, some way, the gods will enter in there, do something, I don't know, but then make this Uh, Egyptian king or whoever it is in there, make them an immortal or make them into a God. It will transform them. They'll go from death to life. They'll go from the land of the dead, hell, to the land of the living, heaven. And they believe that they will get their place among the stars of heaven. So, With this number three, now representing this idea of resurrection or change, let's look at some verses that display that for us. Hosea 6, 2, after two days will he revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up. We shall live in his sight. Notice now that there's a prophecy here. I'll never forget this. I was reading one of these life application Bibles. Don't waste your money. If you can't read the Bible and then ask God to change your life by the promises in His Word, then you trying to somehow perform the acts or the functions of whatever it is you read in the scriptures. In other words, you can't do it yourself. Absolutely can't do it yourself, no matter how hard you try. I Listen, I've tried it. I've tried to change myself, my life, my ways. None of it worked. When I asked God to do it, boom. He did it every single time. Now, he did it in his way and in his days, but he did it, okay? But anyway, uh, I was reading one of these life application Bibles, and it said uh, concerning this passage, it was given a commentary, and it was saying, oh, these, these arrogant Jews, oh, they're boasting all the time. And they're boasting here. They're saying that after two days... God will revive us. And the third day, he's going to raise us up brand new. We're going to live in his sight. And, and, oh, that'll be glory. And God's going to do that for us. And and the commentators said, these poor, foolish, arrogant Jews who think that uh, this is a prophecy that's literally going to change their life forever. And it has nothing to do with them whatsoever, nothing to do with their transformation into salvation or anything like that. It's just that those pathetic Jews believe this against what God actually says for them. i tell you what, you'll never catch me saying anything like that if God laid it on the heart of, of uh, Hosea to write that out. And then God does not follow it up with, by saying, oh, foolish Israel, you think that I am going to raise you up on the third day. Well, you've got another thing coming. That's not what God said. God is going to do exactly what He said He's going to do. Think about this. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years. So we have one, one day and two days. That makes 2000 years, then when the third day comes in, God is going to do at some point all the things that He promised that He was going to do, both good and bad, God's going to do it. So it's not foolish to think that, God, listen, God, these, God hates these Jews. These Jews have done nothing but disobey him all the time. They don't deserve nothing. Well, I'll tell you something about us Gentiles. We don't deserve a whole lot more than they do. If anything, we don't deserve it. And so I believe that this is a genuine prophecy. Now, when did that two day period start? I don't know. When does that third day come into play? I don't know. But I know God knows, and that's all that matters to me. God's going to do it in His time. And I, I get calls, I get letters, emails from people asking me, "Do do I think that we're living close to the end times? Could this, could this be it, Pastor Mike? I mean." I mean, my goodness, they're going to do this and they're going to, uh, re- they're going to release this and they're going, to, they're going to start doing this and it's all going to, you know, they're all, they're all going to kill us all. And then, I don't know. What I do know is that God is so faithful is that God will only let what happens to us be according to God's will. And if it's according to God's will, I promise you, God's going to bless on that day, okay? He's going to bless on that day. I promise you He will. So check this out, remember King Hezekiah, he found out he was going to die and he was like, I don't want to die, I don't have a child, I don't have a son. Well, in retrospect, Hezekiah, that probably was the best thing you had going because Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, this guy was no beauty contest winner, I can tell you that, okay? Uh, His name was Manasseh, and he was very evil as a king. But here's here's what is said about him. Uh, 2 Kings 20, verse 5, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day, thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. So here we have have another third day time prophecy that on the third day, Hezekiah is going to go up unto the house of the Lord. Now we know in the New Testament time, what, what really is the house of the Lord? I mean, what, what is it really? Is it the one that the, uh, the Rockefellers and the, uh, and the Jews are gonna build in, in, uh, uh, on, on, on the Temple Mount there and they're gonna run off all the, uh, the Muslims out of there and get, get rid of them all, is that, is that it? No, because God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. What is that temple? Or should I say, who is that temple? Who is that temple? Because he says here, uh, turn again, tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer and have seen thy tears. And behold, I will heal thee on the third day. Thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. What is the Lord's house? Okay. Exodus chapter 19, when Moses uh, has brought the people of Israel across the Red Sea, they've seen Pharaoh and his armies drown, and there should be this hallelujah glory time where they say, man, we believe in God now. Woo, amen, praise the Lord. We're never gonna turn our backs on God. Just wait a day or two. So in Exodus 19, Moses is going to bring Israel to meet with God on Mount Sinai. And the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Oh, I like this. Let's let's count it. Again, let's count it from here. From Christ's um, death, we could say. Uh, One day has passed, so that puts us around 1000 AD, thereabouts. And then from that point to another point, I'm already out of the Bible. After two days, now we're into the third day, early in the morning, and God is going to do exactly what He said He was going to do. Remember uh, when Mary Magdalene went to the, uh, the tomb where they had laid Him, and she goes to the tomb on the third day. What did she find? She didn't find Jesus. Jesus had already risen from the dead. He was already alive again, and she was about to be a witness of that, and so I believe with all my heart, the literal interpretation of this in Scripture, that the third day represents the very beginning of the seventh day or the 7,000th year, if that's a word, thousandth, the 7,000th year since the creation. Yes, I'm one of those. I believe the earth was created some 6,000 years ago. And uh, I watch a few evolutionists on YouTube and I I listen to to how they try to spin and, and argue, the 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 so-called facts of evolution, but I don't believe a word they say. I don't. Because I have a Bible telling me different, and I've got way more trust in my Bible than I do any of those guys that are evolutionists. Are yeah, that they believe in evolution. They they teach and um, they teach courses on evolutionary science and so on, and they think they have answers for everything. And I'm right now, I'm, I've started a new series of mini videos called Creation Bites. And I have some really good ones that to me, once you think about it, you have to admit there's, there's no way. There, that somebody had to have created everything that we see around us and how it works. So anyway, let me move on, okay? So Moses is going to bring Israel to meet God at Mount Sinai. So put this into the future. Christ is going to bring his people to meet their God. The Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their clothes. Clothes are important in the Bible. Be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. So it happens on the third day. What does? A a resurrection, a change, a transformation. They're going to get new bodies. They're going to get new minds. God's going to take He's going to do what he said in Jeremiah 31, 31. He's going to take uh, his word and put it in their inward parts and they won't be walking around carrying Bibles or Torah scrolls anymore. They'll know it. It'll be in their heart and they'll know it and we'll know it too. Amen? That's exactly what God's going to do. That's going to be done on the third day and I believe that we are like almost almost there i'm not a date setter never had never have been and i'm not even going to get started now because i have no idea when christ is going to come have no idea whatsoever matthew 16 21. here jesus begins a a a a series of verses explaining what's going to happen to him In Matthew 16, 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. He showed it to them and he gave them the exact time formula that it was going to happen. And as soon as he said it, the disciples went. So Matthew, have you been watching anything going on at the Coliseum lately? Yeah. Yeah, boy, they've got, they, yeah, I got some good guys on their team this year. They're talking about everything except that because they don't understand it. And yet it was given to them, it was given to them plainly. I like this one. It's one of my favorite ones that when this, when this hit me, I'm like, mm. I think I was probably crying. Uh, yeah, I get emotional about my Bible and what it says in it and the things it has done for me in my life. Um, no other book ever, has changed my life, my opinions, my walk with God more so than the King James authorized 1611 Bible. No other book, no other book. So here is Jesus and he has his friend, Lazarus. Now, if you have a friend and you have a friend that's dying, then what we should do is go to them, pray for them, or you can pray for them where you are, and ask God to give them time to give their life to the Lord. And if the opportunity arises, go to them and just ask them point blank. I did this with a neighbor of ours. Uh, grew up. With her across the street, she always sat down on her porch, and she always smoked, sitting out there, and, and uh, she just sat out on a porch usually late afternoon, when the sun kind of went down. It was, you know, wasn't so hot then. I didn't know her all that well, but she ended up with cancer. and she was in our local hospital here, and, and I was told that she was going to die. Would you go see her? Now, I'm not very good at just bringing up salvation and religion to people. Um, But when it's necessary, I will. And it was necessary in this situation. I figured that I'm either going to, I'm either going to um, make better our friendship. Or I'm going to make a very, very bitter enemy, but she won't last long. So I went to the hospital, and we talked about the news and everything else until finally I said, man, let me say something to you, okay? I'm a pastor. You know me from since I was a kid. I grew up under you. You've seen me. You know who I am. YOU KNOW THAT I DON'T JUST GO AROUND BEATING PEOPLE OVER THE HEAD WITH MY RELIGION. BUT I SAID THE CHANCES ARE LIKELY THAT YOU'RE NOT EVER GOING TO LEAVE THIS HOSPITAL ALIVE. and THAT MEANS YOU'RE GOING TO DIE AND IT COULD BE SOON. AND I WANT TO ASK YOU RIGHT NOW BECAUSE When you get to heaven, God's going to bring up this conversation and one of two things is going to happen. You're going to say, yes, God, He mentioned this to me and I listened to what He said and I called upon you to save me. Or you're going to say, yeah, I heard what He said. But I didn't do what he said. And I said, then when I get to heaven, the Lord's going to say to me, Mike, why didn't you say something? Or, Mike, I know you tried. But she just wouldn't listen. So, and I told her about salvation, read the Romans Road to her, gave her all the verses. And I said, now, you've been in this hospital a while. You know that more than likely you're going to die. Have you made your peace with God? And what I mean by that is, have you asked God's forgiveness for all of your sins and submitted yourself humbly before him so that he could grant you the gift of eternal life? Have you done that? And she said, yes. So I, after that, I went over to her and laid hands on her and just sort of tried to confirm it with prayer. I told her, you pray, uh, you know, if you want to pray silently, that's fine. But I'm going to pray over you. If you want to pray just between you and God, that's fine. But Jan, if, if you don't get this right, if you don't get this right, Okay? A, Eternity is a long time. And so I ended up preaching her funeral. I pray that God's mercy extended to her, but it's something we got to get right. Okay? But anyway, here's the point about all this. Jesus had a friend that was dying and his disciples said, Jesus, let's get up and go and see Lazarus. He's dying. Let's, let's, lay hands on him and heal him, and Jesus said, uh, my, 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 isn't it pretty out today? I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. But he waits and waits and tarries and waits, and they're talking to him, and finally he says, Lazarus is dead. What? So he said, now let's go to him. So he's been dead four days. Jesus gets down there. Mary and marthas they're crying, and they're saying, oh, imagine if you would have been here four days earlier, you could have saved this life. Jesus is like, yeah, I know, I could have. But I'm going to do something better than that. Take ye away the stone. So they took away the stone, and let's read it. John eleven forty three 43, and when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. How many words? Three. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus, Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. Oh, I like that. I like that. Three words. Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. Jesus had already prayed. Father, you and I both know that I could have been here earlier, but I wanted to show forth your power, not just the power to heal, but the power to bring dead people back to life. And I would say this to anybody who's listening to me in in these videos right now. Your life right now may be as dead as a doorknob. But I promise you, you call out to God, God will either give you what you ask for or give you something far better than you could have ever asked or thought. And God will do that for you. That's the kind of God that he is. He is a resurrecting God. He brings dead things and I, listen, I picked up bodies that were 4 days old dead. And it's pretty bad. God put In fact, God not only put that together with Lazarus, God put together all of the uh dry bones that were out in the wilderness there did it by preaching and Ezekiel prophesied to them they came together bone upon bone sinew upon sinew tissue upon tissue then the skin then everything else and then God said uh prophesied to the wind that the wind would go into them and give them life and he prophesied to the wind And the wind blew into them, and they stood up a mighty army before the Lord. That's how much power my God has. He can resurrect an entire dead army, and it's nothing for him to do that. That's what I like about my God and my religion, is that he's powerful enough to do any of that or all of it. Okay, amen. Uh, l- look at how, look at what God created on the third day. I-, I gave an illustration of it earlier when it comes to the resurrection. Let's read it Genesis 1, verse 11. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed. And the fruit tree yielding fruit. So what does he bring forth on the third day? Grass, herb yielding seed, fruit tree yielding fruit. And what do what do fruits have on the inside of them? Seeds. Even banana seeds. You ever seen banana seeds? It, teeny tiny I mean, they're just you can eat a whole banana and not ever feel one in your mouth okay the smallest the smallest one of the smallest seeds on the earth you can't even feel it you can't even taste it and yet when it's planted it brings forth a mighty tree massive bundles of fruit coming from this. I'm here to tell you, it does not take a PhD in theology. It does not take someone uh, who has been trained um, uh, in public speaking and making speeches to people. and, And it does not take sales techniques to learn to share what God has given you for their life it doesn't take any of that stuff it takes something that big and God can take it and bless it turn it into a mighty tree full of fruit God can do that okay so genesis 1 we have the herb we have grass the herb building seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth and it was so and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit uh, yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind and God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning here it is were the third day Mm. Now look at now look, so we're dealing with trees with fruit on them, right? That's Genesis chapter one. When we get to Genesis chapter two, is there a tree yielding fruit? Why, well, I believe there is. What is it called? In Genesis 2, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, I counted those words. There are 39 words, starting with, of every tree. And that breaks down to 13 times 3. But here's also something else. It's it's like a a proto-law. In other words, it's like a, a picture of God's law. Uh, God's law given to us at the hand of Moses, okay? And God said, if you, if you promise that you'll keep this law, then I'll do all these blessings for you. Did they do it? No. No. No, nobody ever kept the law, ever. No one did. And don't believe anybody that says they did. Law-keeping was not, uh, not how Jews were saved back in this certain dispensation, nor does the blood of bulls and calves atone for the sins of mankind. It doesn't work. God just said, don't do it. He said 39 words here in Genesis 2. And and to me, I see a, a, a package there of the Old Testament law with the 39 books going from Genesis all the way to Malachi. Those are all the things that God said, good and bad. And the people, we have people all throughout the Old Testament, they did bad. God either reconciled them to Himself, or God uh, sometimes chastened them, or in some cases, God just downright killed them. He was laying out a scenario for future generations to understand that once you break God's law, death will follow. Death will follow. Let's let's read this. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day, that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, again, you can check my math on this. You can count these words by yourself if you want. The truth of it is there are exactly 39 words in this phrase that God said. I believe that's on purpose because I believe that my Bible is perfect, absolute perfection absolute truth and that there's no other book like it no other book like it and so my question to you is if you're still just sort of you're still not sure whether this english bible can be the Word of God or not. I'm not here to beat you over the brow, beat you over the head. I'm not here to rub your nose in it. I'm not here to do anything like that. All I'm trying to do is show you what I believe God showed me and taught me through hours of study and and moments of eureka like going (gasps) oh wow and my wife like thinking is there something wrong okay because I would find things like that and I mean the hair would stand up on the back of my neck I'm like I can't believe this I found a book that to my knowledge there's not another book in the world like it My hope and prayer is that you find this book. I know you know where to get a copy of the King James, but what I'm asking you is, will you look for and find this book? Find it to be right. Will you do that? God bless you. This is Pastor Mike. I love you. You're the reason why we do what we do. Got a few more things to talk about on the number three and... Buddy, get ready, okay? Because it's going to drop, okay? All right. God bless you. I love you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.